Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Unfortunately, there were some tech issues with the recording of this episode and throughout you will hear an echo happening. I just wanted to reassure you that that's happening on the podcast episode and it's nothing to do with your own equipment and I will, as always, be endeavouring to learn how to clean up the audio in podcast episodes, but I think you'll really enjoy this episode, so please persevere because there's lots of great information. Thanks, everyone. Becoming an AMHSW is a podcast sharing the stories and experiences of social workers who have successfully attained their mental health accreditation. I'm Ashton Hayes. I'm an AMHSW in private practice and I specialise in supporting social workers through the process of mental health accreditation. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Becoming an AMHSW, the podcast. This week I would like to welcome Joanne Cottrell. Joanne is an accredited mental health social worker who is in private practice in Mudgee, New South Wales. Joanne also offers supervision and training. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Ashton. I always love talking to you. Oh, well, I'm so pleased that you've been able to join us today. So as you know, we speak to a lot of social workers through this podcast, and I guess uh, one of the big questions uh, that everybody has is about becoming an accredited mental health social worker. And I just wondered what made you want to become an AMHSW? I guess originally I was thinking about job security because I was following my husband around the country in his job and I wanted to know that I could work anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. And that was the main reason why I went to become an accredited mental health social worker. I especially work in small rural towns, which leaves you with less employment options. So while I have and do enjoy working within government agencies in small country towns sometimes that isn't a great option or sometimes you do want to be able to provide additional supports that don't really fit into the model that is offered by whatever government department that is so for me in particular I was working in rural community mental health services in New South Wales Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to do more therapeutic work and less crisis case management work, which was the majority of the workload in the mental health team. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about working in um, regional, rural and remote areas. That does seem to be an area where there is a lot of uh, lack of mental health support, long waiting lists, that kind of thing. So it's great that you're able to um, offer that. So one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot um, is about running a, an ethical private practice as a social worker. As social workers, we want to be able to support as many people um, as possible who are seeking our support, um, but sometimes people can come up against sort of, um, I guess, things pushing it against their values and their ethics. And you and I have uh, talked a lot about how we can make this an ethical space for social workers so that they can provide more services to people out there who need it. So how do you, as a clinician yourself, see yourself being able to run an ethical private practice? 
Well, I guess the first part is to recognise that by going into private practice, you create additional capacity within your community because your government-funded job will be able to be filled by another social worker who may not have the experience or capacity to go into private practice yet. So by definition, for each social worker who goes into private practice, we increase the capacity of the whole system to respond to people in needs. The second part of that is that people often think about going into private practice as some sort of money-hungry, non-ethical process, but actually people are often unable to access any counselling services in mainstream organisations, but they can access some counselling, even free of charge, within the system of private practice. So more than 90% of my clients do not pay a cent to see me. There are definitely people who do pay to see me and that actually is appropriate for those clients. Obviously, I can't go into their own personal situations, but that's appropriate for them. So there are many ways that you can work to access additional resources for your clients so that they can actually get a more long-term, more tailored, more appropriate service for them than what they would get within a government agency where they will unfortunately be a number that comes in and goes out again. Mm, mm. So you're seeing a lot of people, like you just said, that aren't actually out of pocket at all. And Mm. I guess there are a couple of ways that um, counselling or mental health social workers can work in private practice. One of the ways, of course, is to become an accredited mental health social worker because then you're a Medicare provider and you can set your fees from bulk billing to really anything that that you want to set it at, which makes you accessible to a lot of people. But what sorts of roles um, can social workers have that help people in the community uh, in their lead up to getting their mental health accreditation? So the two big ones that I often encourage people to think about if they're not quite ready to apply to become an accredited mental health social worker, maybe because they just haven't had a job description that had the appropriate things, but they've got the experience, for example, Mm -hmm. is I say you don't have to be an accredited mental health social worker to work with victim services in most states, certainly not New South Wales. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be an accredited mental health social worker to work with the NDIS system. Mm -hmm. But I do encourage people to think about becoming an accredited mental health social worker, not only from the point of view of Medicare, but also from the point of view of it being recognised by a number of other funding bodies. So for example, in New South Wales, CIRA, which deals with workplace accidents and also motor vehicle accidents, and the Open Arms, who deal with veterans and the family of veterans. So that includes partners and children of veterans, recognise accredited mental health social workers and pay for counselling for their targeted client group. So ironically, most of the clients I see where I rely on my accredited mental health social work status are not actually Medicare. The majority of the people that I see where I rely on my Medicare qualifications are CIRA or Open Arms. Mm -hmm. I do see some people under Medicare and there are a very small number that I see under bulk billing. And you and I have had this conversation before, the way that bulk billing pays is not something that you can sustain across large numbers of clients. So for me at the moment, I have around 80 clients 
and I have three who are bulk billing. And those three are deliberately bulk billing because they have no ability to access other types of funding. They're really well-engaged clients and they're prepared to do some interesting work that I find useful for my education as well as for their benefits. So they're the specific clients that I take in on bulk billing. But I found really early in my practice when I was taking on more bulk billing clients, what I was doing was seeing them and then going, oh, your dad was in the military. You really should be with open arms. Or, oh, you have a disability. We really need to get you recognised with NDIS and get counselling through that system. Or, oh, you've been a victim of crime, which seemed to happen to every client I see, but anyway, and get them recognised with victim services, which not only gives them counselling hours, but potentially recognition payments, reimbursements for other costs, all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. So that's quite a social work way of doing things, isn't it? We've got potentially people coming in through a Medicare system and once we do our assessment and start to get to know the client, we may see other ways that will enable them to access counselling for the period of time that they require it um, and being very uh, minimally out of pocket. So we are still able to run our practices in a way that sustain us and our families and our registration and our training and our supervision and all that goes into being um, a high quality mental health clinician. But at the same time, we're also able to do some of that social work outreach in terms of linking into funded services um, that really have better outcomes for everyone long term. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a couple of other funded services that I haven't mentioned because they vary from site to site in terms of whether or not they require accredited mental health social work or not. So, for example, many EAP providers will contract social workers. Some want accredited mental health social work status, others don't. There are many um, primary health networks that run mental health counselling programs. Some of them require accredited mental health social work status and some don't. So they are unique by area, but there are many other programs out there. And I've only mentioned some of the very common ones. There are some others as well. And I think social workers have a lot to offer in this space, far more than psychologists who would potentially never look at a client and think, what services are they entitled to? And how can that assist them not only to access counselling, but other resources and facilities? Mm, yeah absolutely and I think you know it allows a lot of flexibility and creativity doesn't it in the work that you're doing it does and it also allows for appropriateness so I'll stay off my high horse for (laughs) well I'll be on it for just a few seconds and then I'll get off it again but it frustrates me if people think about counseling only from the point of view of accredited mental health social work and focus psychological strategies because by definition you have to be diagnosed with a mental health diagnosis in order to get that and for me as a social worker I'm not saying mental health diagnoses are not appropriate but they're not always appropriate often what we're seeing is an appropriate response to a traumatic or upsetting situation 
if you're a carer who's struggling with exhaustion, that doesn't have to be diagnosed with depression to get counselling if you can get funding through carers. If you're a person struggling with the aftermath of trauma, you shouldn't have to be diagnosed with PTSD in order to get counselling as a victim of crime. So for me, I try and stay away from the system that requires diagnosis unless it really does. I think it, uh, what you're saying, you know, a lot of the points you're making are speak to a system that needs a real overhaul, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, you and and I and all of the social workers that are we're connecting with will hopefully um, be on that same track with us and, uh, you know, go out into the world and uh, support people in the best way they can but also be able to consult with and on mental health health policies as they continue to develop. Yeah. So uh, you and I uh, have recently come together to really promote ethical private practice for social workers. So I just wondered if you could speak a little bit more about what is on offer and what we've been developing and the new training that you have coming out. Sure. So... You and I got together because we're passionate about helping social workers get into that private practice space. Mm-hmm. And I see you as the expert and the guru in accredited mental health social work, and I'm quite happy for you to have that space. I don't feel any need to compete directly with that space. Like I said, it's been very valuable to me to be an accredited mental health social worker, even when I'm not working in a Medicare model. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other things that can be learnt by social workers going into private practice and having a diversity of ways that we can work with clients gives more resources to our clients, gives more stability and viability to our practice. Mm-hmm. And for me, the things that really haven't been trained or supported for people going into private practice are things like working with NDIS, working with victim services, working with uh, Sarah, working with a whole variety of government funding bodies and knowing how to operate those systems. Also, some of the skill sets that are more business focused but are necessary for private practice that you never have to think about when you work in a government agency unless you were a senior manager. Things like insurance, complaints management processes, record keeping, dealing with subpoenas, those types of things that you're often not familiar with when you work as a social worker within a government system. Somebody else in that government system does that for you. Mm-hmm. And they're the places where I feel that social workers struggle when they go into private practice because it is a leap. Yeah. We're not necessarily a leap in your clinical skills, but certainly a leap in your organisational skills, mm-hmm. in your contracting skills. And as I said, for me, I see it as a very ethical step for skilled social workers to take because they create more capacity in the system as they go into private practice. And at the same time, they allow themselves to specialise in whatever they're best with. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the website that I've been working on and set up with you, Ashton, is called socialworker.org.au. Mm-hmm. And this site is a combination of a number of things. So one of them is what I call the Powering Partnership Network. And this is a network where social workers in private practice, whether they're just going in or they're really experienced, meet monthly. And they talk about the types of things that you wouldn't see spoken about anywhere else. So 
Can we apply for grants in partnership with each other? Is one of us an expert in a particular area that can provide training to people in other areas, whether it's about working with a specific government department or whether it's about specifically dealing with a unique business skill like marketing? So this Power in Partnership Network comes together once a month, but then it offers all sorts of resources to its members outside that once a month meeting. At the moment, the accredited mental health social work training that you offer is sitting on this platform, but launched in the next week or so will be becoming an approved Victims of Crime counsellor, helping your clients to apply for Victims of Crime counselling. And then the third training, once you have become an approved Victims of Crime counsellor, how to actually do that successfully. There are heaps more trainings that we're looking to bring on board on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it has this capacity to grow really fast, but also really organically, depending on who's coming into the system and how they want to partner with us and with other social workers who are in the system. So a little example is there was a social worker who just came in who was new to private practice who wanted to become a victims of crime counsellor but had no idea how to do that. So I said to her, how about if I train you? We'll record it. I'll put the training up. You don't have to be in the training. Like I'll edit it so that you're getting the training for free. So that's what you're offering is your space to learn and be a student. And I'm offering my skill set to teach and learn what the students need. And together I create the final product. So literally this training isn't already out and she's already been approved as a victims of crime counsellor and I'm super excited to have those sorts of partnerships operating. And I don't pretend to be the expert in all of this, but I do love community development work. I actually had 10 years in community development before I went into clinical work and I believe that social workers in private practice are their own community but we're really disparate, we're not really well connected and the more we connect and the stronger we get, the more we'll be able to support each other and to support new social workers coming into that space and the stronger we are as a group, the more resources we can provide to clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, as you said, we're both so passionate about it and um, this this uh, project that we, we have been doing together, I think, yes, is only going to keep growing and, and the more social workers we can bring together to um, support and support each other the better. So last question, Joe. I'd just like to ask if you had one piece of advice to give to a brand new social worker wanting to go into private practice, what would it be? It would be to diversify. Get yourself recognised and qualified across a number of government agencies and departments. It means you have more to offer your clients. It means that you have more eggs in your basket, so to speak, or more eggs in different baskets is probably more appropriate way to say it. And because of that, you are in a position where if something isn't working out for you, your whole practice doesn't have to collapse. You can go, well, Medicare isn't working now. That's fine. I'll pivot towards working more with victim services or people with disabilities or whatever it is that you need to pivot to even if you're working in a specific area say with children you can still work with children with disabilities or children of veterans of which there's a lot yes yes there are 
Uh, uh, thank you. That is actually fantastic advice. And I think we always want to say to people, um, as much as, you know, a big part of the work I do is supporting people uh, into accreditation and subsequently into private practice, it's also important for us as social workers always to understand that there are a number of different referral streams and we can really be diverse and creative in how we set up our practices. So for our listeners, I will be posting links into the show notes. So please do have a look there. And Joe, thanks again. Much appreciated. You're so welcome. Becoming an AMHSW is brought to you by Willow Tree EAP, an employee assistance program providing supportive self-care for helping professionals. I respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which myself and my guests meet and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I recognise their connection to country and role in caring for and maintaining country over thousands of years. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Becoming an AMHSW. If you'd like more information about mental health accreditation, please email info at ashtonhayesconsulting.com.au and please see the show notes for links to resources discussed in today's episode.